It's embarrassing. Wrong, wrong expression. If you're visiting with us, I'm not normally like this. Um, it's lovely to see you and uh, welcome. Seriously, if you're looking for a spiritual home, if you're visiting and looking for a spiritual home, we'd love to welcome you here if you um, uh, feel comfortable in, in how we do things here and more importantly, if you meet with God. That's, that's our, our biggest desire. Our biggest desire is that anybody who comes here would meet with God. That's what we, we um, hold high above uh, anything else. We're currently in a little series in Mark's Gospel. We're going to be going through Mark's Gospel as a church together. I'm, I'm excited about this series because I, I think that there's nothing quite like returning to the teachings of Jesus. Um, I, I, I think in the teachings of Jesus we get uh, an understanding of who God is and what God's like and, and very much how we are to live our lives. Uh, when I uh, read something in the epistles, I try and relate it back to the Gospels. When I read something in the Old Testament, I try and look at what Jesus would say on that. So, so you always get uh, the perspective of the Gospel, the perspective of what Jesus uh, would bring uh, into that. If you've not been with us these last few weeks, then you will have uh, missed out on the introduction to Mark's Gospel. It's a Gospel full of urgency. Mark, the writer, he was the interpreter for Peter the Apostle. And Peter was going around teaching and um, uh, speaking uh, uh, the, 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 his sermons, his messages of God, his invitation to people to come and follow Jesus to discover who he was. And then the persecution started happening. Christians were being persecuted and they had to scatter. Mark, who'd been going around with Peter, then writes down all of Peter's sermons, puts it all together as Peter's been telling the story. He records it and he sends it out with those who are being persecuted, those who've run out into other areas. And it is the beginning of the spread of the gospel. It is the beginning of the way in which the gospel of Jesus Christ became a world wide message. And uh, uh, Jesus has really come to make a difference. This is the story of God. The story of God that Jesus has come to redeem the world, to save the world. Uh, so far we've been reading that Jesus made a difference in, in individuals' lives. Uh, but he's, he's got a bigger plan. His plan is the world. It's you and I. At uh, the end, the last uh, verse of our reading today says this anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother anyone who does God's will Jesus is saying you and I we're included we're part of the plan we're, we're, we're part of his overall uh, vision we remember back in chapter one he's he's dealt with individuals he's cast out evil spirits. He's healed individuals' lives. We get the story of the man with leprosy and the story of the man, the paralyzed man, who's lowered down through the roof. And, and Jesus doesn't just heal his physical issues, but he, he talks to him about the need for forgiveness, the need to, to get his, his uh, uh, inner life right, his heart right. The Proverbs says the heart is the wellspring of life. Jesus says everything that we do comes out of our hearts. He says, you've got to, get, got to get yourself right internally. Your thoughts, your emotions, your desires, your, your, the, where, where you're pressing into has got to be right. And he says, part of that is for this guy was about uh, forgiveness. Uh, last week we were thinking about the calling of, 
of Levi, he, the next person he meets in a sense in, in chapter 2, he, he calls uh, Levi. And uh, Levi is this tax collector um, who uh, is um, a well-known uh, thief, someone who, who manipulates uh, the books, someone who, who collects a little bit more for himself, uh, uh, someone who is protected by the Roman authorities and so was able to do that and, and therefore in his own life got rich quick and, and he had continued to, to live in that place uh, of wealth. And, but it's a really exciting story because this Levi turns from being this publicly understood and known thief to profound teacher and give it into other people's lives. As his name is changed by Jesus, he stops becoming Levi and he becomes Matthew. Matthew, the name that means a gift from God. Uh, 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 the, the, that all of a sudden he, he uh, becomes this person that writes this gospel, this gift of God to you and to me, the gospel of Matthew. But Jesus began to gather those around him. He's, he's begun now to focus on gathering a team because it's not just about what he does. He wants to spread it further. He needs others included in his family who will live out this message, who will spread the good news, who will do the works of the kingdom of God, who will help him to do, uh, make a difference. And so we get to this morning's uh, reading, and it says, Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. In uh, Luke's version of this, it says, Afterwards, he went up the mountain and spent the night in prayer. This is one of Jesus' habits. You'll remember we thought about this back in chapter 1 of Mark. Mark 1, 35 to 39, that, that Jesus got up early in the morning and went to retreat to pray. The importance of retreat, the importance of stopping, the importance of, of refocusing, of, of ensuring we've got what's right in our lives right. Uh, yesterday, I was at the uh, Thanksgiving service for uh, the son of some dear friends of Lynn's and I, whose life was cut uh, horribly short as a, a father of two young children. And, and, and you go to something like that and you think, gosh, don't we all plow on with life? But there are certain things that are so precious, and we have to focus and spend our time on those things that are really important. And Jesus, Jesus had this habit of retreating, retreating to be with his Father, to hear the voice of his Heavenly Father. Is there anybody else here who is a, an avid Radio 4 in the morning listener. Is anybody else here? Did you hear that thing this week on silence? Did you hear that little news report that was on the, uh, about you? You heard it? Yeah, okay. There's a news report on silence. This guy, this guy who, no faith in God at all, and was encouraged by a Christian in, in his life. He said, you need silence. You need to stop and listen. And uh, God will speak to you. And so he stopped and he listened. And this, he, he was saying this on Radio 4. He didn't give away whether he'd come to faith or not. He was very cleverly worked around that little question. But he said this. He said, I stopped and I was silent. He said, and voices told me what to do. He said, and I'm a rational person. And uh, he said, I knew what I needed to do. And it was really interesting because the first thing he needed to do 
was going to apologise to a load of people. Wasn't that right? That's what he was told. So he went to apologise. He said, I had to go and apologise. And he said, when I did, it was obviously the right thing to do. When you stop, when you stop and you give God space, because we're made in the image of God, because God is interested in your life, he will speak to you. Jesus, Jesus knew the value of that. He knew the value of stopping. And so he retreats. He modeled that ministry for you and for me. I, I think that's the first thing I want to just highlight this morning is this, the need to stop and pray. To stop and pray and to be with our Savior. I, I don't know how many others there are in this room who in the morning you think, I can afford another two minutes under the duvet. Before I get up, and it is a rush through the house. You're desperate to get into the shower really quickly, and then you dry as fast as you can, and you get out of the door as quickly as you can, because you just got to rush into the day, because you spent those extra couple of minutes under the duvet. And, and you see it every morning. You just stand on Northfields Avenue. People are running for the tube. That's because they stayed a few extra minutes under the duvet, generally speaking. But, but, but what Jesus did is he got up a bit earlier. Uh, a bit earlier. And in getting up a bit earlier, he retreated to be with his father. And, and then he knew what was important. Then, then he knew he allowed his father to speak into his life. It's interesting, isn't it, that prayer was such a high priority in his life. I wonder what he would have prayed for. Father, I need close friends, perhaps. I need people of good hearts who are willing to be shaped and molded. People who'd be willing to be part of the team. People who I could trust and send out. Help me choose wisely. And it says he called those to him who he chose as leaders. The thing is this, Jesus had an important decision to make. And before making it, he chooses to spend time in prayer. I, friends, I believe in prayer. I believe that God answers prayer. I think that probably most of us in this room believe in prayer, that God answers our prayers. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is our life matched in that belief? Therefore, if we believe that, do we give time to it? Is that something that's a priority? If we believe God answers prayers, do we spend time in prayer? Do we take a little time out and uh, spend time with our Heavenly Father? You see, when we pray, things happen. When we pray, we see people's lives changed. When we pray, we see people get healed. We see people get helped and strengthened and encouraged and comforted and guided. We know, we know that prayer is life-changing and life-creating. Prayer is the central avenue through which God uses to change our lives. If we would give him time, he redirects our thoughts, our motives, our hearts. He reshapes us a little bit more into his likeness. He shaves off some of those rough edges. Martin Luther declared this, he says, I have so much business that I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. I'm so busy I need to pray more. That I find that a challenge. <laughs> three hours daily in prayer. I'm not suggesting you start that way, but 
John Wesley said this. He says, God thing about it. And uh, I was thinking about it. Marvellous, actually. So we just didn't receive communion, Mark. I didn't do that. Important because he's choosing those people, tax collectors and, and carpenters, and generally illiterate, but they came. And Jesus saw not their qualifications. He saw their hearts and their willingness and their characters. And he says, if you're, if you've, if you're willing and, and you're prepared to be shaped and, and to live your life a little bit more like God would want you to live it, he says, I can, I can take you and I can use you and if you'll allow me to speak into your life, you can make such a difference in other people's lives. Then he calls them and he takes them. And he realizes that these were people who weren't filled with self-importance, but they were able to be shaped and molded. I would argue that leadership is important in all aspects of life. When a baby is born into a family, they grow up looking to their parents for leadership, for, for help and guidance and molding. A child learns at school that from the leadership of their form teachers and their head teachers. When playing in a team, the captain of the team leads the others, didn't England do very well yesterday, but leads the others out to, 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 to bring uh, the team forward. In fact, leadership is so, so much part of what we do in life that we're often unaware of its presence. But a government needs a leader. A class needs a leader. A company needs a leader. Jesus knew the importance of leadership and he was taking these men for the short time that he had with them and he wanted to help them, to shape them, that they would take the Christian message to the whole world. They were to be the leaders with this one message, one gospel, one aim, not just as Jesus had done so far to change an individual's life, but he was saying, now we're about the world. Now you've seen it. Let's up the game. And so before doing this, he stopped and prayed. Who were the people he called? He called Peter. He was a natural leader. Simon Peter quickly became the spokesperson for the team. He was a warm-hearted person, emotional and impetuous. Andrew, the fisherman, like his brother, was someone who made friends easily. Seems to be a fairly quiet person, but the one who ran to share the good news of Peter at the beginning. Come meet this man that I've met. Bartholomew and Philip already knew each other from Galilee. Matthew, this well-educated tax collector. Uh, he knows most people in the area. For him, this was a natural thing. If Jesus could win him, he was a doorway to a lot of people's lives. Thomas, who's the twin, known and respected for his honesty. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus also known as Judas in Luke's Gospel. Uh, he's probably the son of James, uh, who we read about in Luke 16 and James 1. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, nick nicknamed sons of thunder, both fishermen and ambitious. Both have explosive streaks. There's Simon, the fanatical nationalist, who wants to see the fall of the Romans, and there's Judas Iscariot who's keen and appears to be a, the most responsible member of the group, and we're told that he was appointed the treasurer. The thing is this, it's a hugely mixed group. It's not the A team. It's just a team of people with mixed backgrounds and different leanings and different emotions and different this and different that. 
And Jesus says, if you've got a heart and you're willing to be shaped and molded, I can take you and use you. And through you, we can see the kingdom come. And he took them and molded them. And they shared life with Jesus. They shared his joys and his sorrows. They would listen, learn, travel and teach. And slowly but surely, they would be grafted into the life of God. None of the disciples that Jesus called were instantly great. None of them suddenly their characters changed. Instantly they became. They had to work at it. They had to work at their lives becoming a little bit more like him. And the thing is this, our last verse tells us that he continues to call us. And he calls each one of us. We're each called. You're called. I'm called. We're called to do this, bring this same message. The call of Jesus in his ministry has a, a, a word that comes out again and again and again. And the word is this, come, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Come, follow me, he says to them. Come, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. I'm the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will not thirst again. Come with me by yourselves, he says, to a quiet place. Come, that's what he says. He says to those around him, come. And those who are come, he knows that he can take them and shape them and change them and equip them and encourage them to become people who would go. And he empowers these guys to continue with that narrative. Come, follow me. And I think he says the same to us. Come, he says. Come, the world changes. Come, make a difference. Come, seek justice. Come, bring change. Be a person of prayer. Come. And if you pick up the baton and come, then we can make a difference. Mark Twain said this. He says, live your life in such a way that when you die... Even the undertaker's sorry. Live your life really to make a difference. Live your life in such a way that when you've gone, people will say, we're missing somebody. We're missing somebody because they really made a difference with their lives. And Jesus' Jesus' invitation to these people is to be world changers. His invitation to you and me is exactly the same. He says, would we come to him? And if we come... As he did with the disciples, he then sends us. He says, don't come and get too settled. It's perhaps been, perhaps been the mistake of the church so much in the past that we've, you know, historically the church has come and we've just done our thing. We expected that others might come and join us. But actually he says, come and then I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you to make a difference. You ought to go in my name and baptize people in my name. You're to teach them everything that I taught you. Jesus himself has this understanding of being on a mission, of being sent. He often refers to his heavenly father as the the one who sent me. And as he sent me, he says, I'm sending you. And, And to go back to prayer, in John 17, it says, Jesus is interceding on our behalf. He's praying for us that we will become more like him, that we would go with this good news to share it in the lives of others. So just to come into land, friends, if we really want to make a difference in this world, we'll be people of prayer. We'll stop 
reflect, think. We'll find some silence and allow God to speak. And in allowing God to speak, we'll change. That's how we change. And in coming to him and we change, we'll hear that we will be sent. It says in Acts 1 verse 8, it says, And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We'll know that we're sent. We're sent to our, our homes, our community, our workplaces. We're sent to be people of good news, to live out the good news, to take this message, this fantastic message of grace and God to others. That we would go and influence and shape this world in the power of the Spirit. That's why we're planting in Harrow. That's why we're extending here. That's why we're always stretching. Uh, someone said to me a few weeks ago, they said, oh, it feels, Mark, as though we, we're always doing something extra at St. Paul's. Well, that's why. Because I don't think we're called to settle. I think we're called to make a difference. I don't know about you, but I think we're called to change the world. I'm so excited about I've put a proposal into the Bishop of London. He hasn't come back to me yet. It's been rather busy, I think. But I... But I uh, I, I, I'm so excited about the possibility we have, the possi- and it is re- a real possibility that we could, with a group of other churches, make significant change in Mozambique. Do you know, my brother phoned me this week, out of the blue, phones me sometimes, he phoned me this week out of the blue, he says, Mark, I've got to phone, he said, Mark, someone in my church has been praying so that's a good thing, Steve. You know, we need that sort of thing. He said, and they, 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 they feel that we ought to start doing something in Mozambique. Now, I know you've got something about Mozambique. I heard you mention it a while ago. I said, oh, I just come back from there. He said, oh, right, what can we do? So I said, well, how about this? He went, sign us up, we're in. Oh, Lord, there's another church signed up. There's a, people keep phoning me about Mozambique. Oh, we haven't even told anybody yet. God's on the case. We really could make a national difference to a country. That's so exciting. But it's not just there, it's here as well. And friends, he calls us, you and me, we're the family of God. With all our inadequacies, all our failures, all our weaknesses, all our vulnerabilities, he says, you're called. You're included. I want you, your name on my list. You're special. Would you join me in being one of the family around this world, the Christian family, that brings challenge and change and something of the goodness of our wonderful, graceful God? Let's stand together, shall we?